Welcome to The Dockside, a podcast about fishing, outdoors, cooking, and camping. We celebrate all that Manitoba's outdoors have to offer. Welcome back to The Dockside. I'm Riley. And I'm Caitlin. And we are back for round two of The Dockside. We're very excited here. We're going to start things off the way we always do by congratulating someone on their first master angler catch. Yep. Today we have Donald Hebert. He has caught a Cisco. Um, so he's ranked right now number 115 Big White Shell Lake, and it's a 16-inch Cisco. That's pretty impressive. That that's pretty good. That's, that's a good size, definitely. Yeah. Um, I've never gone Cisco fishing myself, but I uh, definitely use them for tip-up bait. They're excellent yeah. bait for, for pike and things like that. Yeah, I've also used them for bait, but never actually gone fishing for them. They're a pretty desirable fish. Yeah. I, I think yeah, like people really do like them for cooking and, uh, and for bait as well. Yeah. yeah, that's a nice one. Good job. Good job, uh, Donald. <laughs> Donald. Donald Hebert. First master angler. He looks know, like an that's... older man. Maybe it's the first time he's ever kind of registered one. Yeah, he looks like He looks like a pro. Yeah, he probably knows exactly what he's doing. But he looks pretty proud of himself, so good for him. I would be too. I would be too. It's always a great feeling when you catch a master angler. You get to kind of get the bragging rights. You get the exactly. medal, in the, medal in the mail, a little certificate, stick Aww. it on your fishing hat. Right on. So now it's time for Shore Lunch with Caitlin. Yes. Every week, Caitlin gives us a new recipe, and I'm really excited to hear what you have today. What's yeah. on the What's on the shore here? I've got a really good one today. It's yellow perch pasta. Have you ever tried fish in a pasta before? No, I have Never? not. Okay. Oh, that sounds awesome. Well, it's really good. It's kind of longer. Uh, it takes a little longer to prepare, I find. Cool. But it's super freezable, so you can make a whole bunch of it and just keep it in your freezer, and then you have food for like the longest time. Awesome. So step one is to choose your noodles. So it's kind of just whatever you'd prefer in this case. Um, You're using yellow perch with them, so just whatever you want. I use zucchini noodles. They're actually super good. Give it a different sort of flavor. One of those, hey? One of those. Veggie pasta people. (laughs) Have you ever tried veggie pasta? Yes, I have. It's perfectly fine. You're allowed to knock it. I don't think it's pasta, but I'm not going to derail your segment (laughs) with an opinion piece right now. Fine, fine. Okay, well, if you're if you're Riley, you can use something else. Um, you need half a pound of whichever pasta you choose. And you also need about 12 ounces of yellow perch. Um, just cut them into fillets, maybe like a centimeter thick. You kind of want them to be a little on the thinner side. And okay. they have to be defrosted for this. Yeah. So you want to cook the noodles first, make your pasta, and keep like maybe a half a cup, maybe a little bit more of the pasta water aside once you're done because you're going to use it later to help make the sauce. And then you need to add the extras. So generally, just I would put in a clove of garlic. Just cut it into little pieces. I would probably put like five cloves of garlic, but I'm you can do I, I'm a little, definitely yeah, more. It's, a, um, it's subjective, really. Garlic. I always yeah. go heavy. Yeah. Well, it gives it a lot of extra flavor. You can use garlic powder too with the cloves of garlic, which I oh, sometimes do. Or cool. you can just do the powder if you're lazy. I'm not judging. Nice. Um, throw some salt and pepper seasoning if you want. Um, I find like I use ginger seasoning for yellow perch. It's good. Or Parmesan can be really good too. And then you want to cut up some vegetables. So it's honestly like whatever you want. I sometimes don't even put in the vegetables because I find it can take away from the fish taste. Makes it more like a stir fry. But if you want, you can. It's just an extra step because you have to fry those and season them as well. Cool. Then you need to sear the fish. So you have to prepare the pan first or else the fish is going to stick and it can be kind of gross. It sort of ruins the dish. Yeah. So non-stick or cast iron pan is what I would recommend. It has to be extremely hot. Just use a bunch of vegetable oil. 
the more the merrier when it comes to the vegetable oil. And then before you throw the fillets in, just um, like pat them down with like a paper towel of some kind. It, they usually hold some excess moisture. Like it kind of like makes it more inclined to burn, I would say. Okay, fair enough. Good advice. Yeah. So season both sides of the fillets. Um, Cabela's coating mixes. Oh, repping, another plug for Cabela's. Repping the Cabela's. We talked bacon, <laughs> bacon fish last episode. Yeah. So what, what, besides the bacon seasoning, what, what other ones do you like? Well, the Cabela's coating mixes have like there's spicy beer batter. There's regular beer batter. They can mix like a breading or like a soft batter. Oh, cool. So it's whatever you want. I always throw in the Cabela's plug shamelessly hey that's great <laughs> you'll know um when one side of the fish is done because the edges start to darken to like a, a golden brown mm -hmm. so once that's done just flip them over and cook the other side for two to three minutes um i would strongly encourage closer to two yeah it, oh man you can cross that line so quickly oh, uh, especially with a uh, small fish like perch like it's easy to yeah. overcook yeah so i think that going back to talking about having a really hot pan like that's a big mistake that people make i think they don't for wait sure. long enough for their pan to fully heat up Hot pan, nice and quick, doesn't yeah. take long. And you want to remember, like, you're cooking with maybe one centimeter, one centimeter oh, wide yeah. fillet, so those can burn so fast exactly. and then it's inedible. Yeah. The last step, you're almost done, is the sauce. So, um, again, you want to take that pasta water that you initially had for this. Use the same pan that you just used for the fillets because it kept some of the flavor, preferably, and add, honestly, just a ton of butter. <laughs> didn't say this was healthy add however much butter you want as well as more garlic to the pan and then let There's the butter the more melt garlic. i was waiting yeah. for the more garlic there has to be more garlic yes. always so you let the butter melt make sure that you're stirring because the garlic is going to burn if you just let it sit there which is a common mistake i find when people are making this you add like a third of a cup of lemon juice you can buy lemon juice just like in a bottle or you can squeeze your own lemon i always squeeze my own lemon. fresh is better <laughs> fresh is better for that stuff the concentrated lemon juice is fine in a pinch but uh yeah no, it's worth it to grab those it fresh is. lemons. It yeah. is. And you want some salt and pepper, other seasonings if you want. Um, I would garnish it with parsley, but you can use other garnish if cool. you want. Add the water, stir it till it thickens, and then throw it all together, drizzle your sauce on, and you have a beautiful dish. Well, that sounds awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to try that one out. Maybe uh, I've got a couple good perch spots, so maybe yeah. that'll be... Uh, on the list, you know, go grab some perch. Yeah. Uh, with perch, you want to be careful that you're grabbing them kind of at the right time of year. Sometimes in mm -hmm. the summer, they do uh, kind of, and depending on the body of water, you, you can get some worms and parasites and stuff. So, yeah. you know, talk to your local people around and see what, if it's good perch season, then uh, and yeah. go for it. Yeah. It's a great dish, though. It sounds awesome. It, it's a bit time consuming because of how much stuff you have to prepare and like cut up and everything has to be done separately. But it's pretty easy, honestly. It's a forgiving dish. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, make any adjustments on the fly if you need. As long as you cook that fish perfectly, you're set. Exactly. Dinner awesome. idea. <laughs> Man, I'm getting hungry. This, this podcast makes me very hungry. And this is uh, this is like a... I know. I've only had coffee today. So the whole time I was reading this, I was like, am I drooling on the mic? <laughs> definitely. Uh, now that we have your appetite up, I'll let you know that later on in the show, we'll be talking to Noel Lindsay on Cooking Squirrel. Yeah. So that's different. <laughs> that's new. I'm not uh, sure if that's going to help with the appetite or not. And uh, what are we having for dessert? Squirrel. It but. could go either way. <laughs> it could go either way. Noel swears by it, and we'll let him. Uh, we'll let him make his case later on mm -hmm. in the show. I've always wanted to try squirrel. Yeah. Like at the same time, it seems 
pretty gross but also could be super delicious maybe it could be great i've heard it's awesome and i'm looking forward to hearing more about it from noel Lindsay. i mean i wanted to talk a little bit about fishing in city limits in our in our beautiful city of winnipeg yeah there's an idea that you always have to go way out of town but i've spent a lot of time and especially when i was starting out just fishing along the riverbanks in the city yeah i I didn't have a vehicle but i had a fishing rod and a a will to fish so yeah we're pretty lucky that way in winnipeg oh it's amazing we're right at the juncture of these two two mighty rivers that offer all kinds of multi-species opportunities Uh, some spots are better than others so i've kind of picked some of my favorite ones uh, where you're likely to find some action and if you don't you'll at least have a really nice time in winnipeg so uh, one very popular spot is the saint norbert heritage park Oh yeah, so that's just way down, way down uh, towards the south end of the city, not too far even from the border. At that point, uh, they have like their little heritage park, like a little old kind of town, and yeah. uh, and they have the red there, and there are big channel cats there. That is like two seconds for me, and I've never considered going there to fish. It's great. It's not the like numbers wise. I don't think I've ever had like an amazing time where I'm catching nonstop, but I I rarely leave empty-handed from there, catch a fish or two. Yeah, so highly recommend. It's a nice spot. It's a little bit quieter than your your Lockports and yeah. and places like that. There's not as many people there. Of course, along the Forks River Walk, there's a lot of opportunities there. They do have one derby there every year where everyone kind of lines up yes. on the River Walk by the Forks, and it's more for the kids. But people are always catching there. Um, so do you mean right where people skate? Like you can go off to the side and like ice fish right there? Or? I guess I'm thinking more <laughs> open water. I haven't actually. Okay. Uh, I've thought about it. I've thought about just like bringing my auger out there. Just bring uh, a stool and. <laughs> yeah, people have done it. I've seen people do it and actually catch walleye, which is a little bit surprising. You wouldn't think they'd be that far south, but they're they're down there and uh, <laughs> yeah, um, right off from the where the docks are and stuff. It gets to about thirty feet deep, which is which is quite deep. Wow. Yeah, but most yeah. of the spots along the river trail are a little bit more shallow, but lots of opportunities to catch freshwater drum, catfish, um, and massive massive carp like big big old city carp i don't know what they're they're eating out of the the downtown river but they're just huge i've actually seen uh, i saw this lady um just like hand feeding carp off the dock like she was oh my god yeah she would like stick her hand with some bread into the water and there'd be like Ah. five or six big carps or their heads were about the size of hers than feeding birds yeah if you want to take (laughs) it to the next level just uh start feeding some carp right in the right in the red river there wow yeah um, as you get further down, um, the water gets a little bit shallow and gets a little prone to snags. I was really hoping okay, that yeah. um, I live on Spence Street, kind of by Broadway. So I was oh, hoping yeah. the river trail spot like right at the end of my street would be perfect. But it's uh, it's a little bit shallow. I've lost all kinds of lures there. So it's not the best spot. Mm-hmm. But I've still caught channel cats there, uh, the odd gold eye and stuff if you go at the right time of day. Um, yeah, you just got to have patience when you're fishing in areas that are prone to snags. Like you, yeah. it's, it's a little harder, but you usually snag yourself when you're trying to like fix your positioning or whatever. Yeah. Generally, if you just throw it out there and let it sit, you'll be all right. If you're a little snagged and a big fish comes and bites on your line, it'll probably pull you out of that snag anyway. Um, this is a spot I did try to drill in the winter. Okay. Yeah, uh, and uh, the ice was about two feet thick, and I, I got through that, and then there I think there was only about six inches of water underneath, and it was like highly pressurized current. So I, I dropped oh. a jig down there and it was just like, whoop, and, and just went, went on forever. So yeah, not the best ice fishing spot, no. but the closer you get to the forks, the water gets nice and deep. I'm going to try it. I'm going to go out there and yeah. uh, drill a hole. Just and... right next to people skating. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> why, do it. why not? It I will could be see fine. it making people like nervous. 
They're like, oh my God, I can see water. Yeah, uh. but they don't know. They don't know you could land a plane on that river without any problems. You definitely One could. little hole. I'm going to do it. And if I get chased out of there, I'll let you know on the next episode. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Okay, and now this is where I, I will reluctantly divulge my favorite wi- Winnipeg fishing spot. It's uh, it's right where the Seine River meets the Red River at La Gemodia Gabourie Park. So it's just like right at the beginning of St. Bede, kind of near um, Archibald. The hmm. Yeah, so the Seine feeds right into the Red there. Creates this little little channel of still water. So off to your left, uh, malt, like just like ample carp opportunities. There's carp there all the time. You'll see people fishing with little bread balls they made on tiny circle hooks, and then like almost always catching. And then you just take a 90 degree turn, and there's about maybe 10 feet max off the shoreline. There's a drop to about 22 feet, and wow. and there's big channel cats to be caught there. I've caught uh, there's one master catfish. I'm pretty sure I've caught it three times. Or at least a very similar looking fish. Doesn't seem like the sharpest fish. No, this fish is a little strange looking too. Like very skinny, like long oh, and skinny. Like it's distinctive. Yeah. So I think that's his spot. I think he's just kind of out there doing his thing. Huh. And uh, I've caught him a few times. And that is Lajmoji Gabri Park? Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. well, yeah. I'm going to have to. And you know what? Know. Even if even if you just want a spot to kind of like hang out, you can have a bonfire there. Like no oh. one's ever given us any trouble. And I've seen all kinds of crazy wildlife there from like great horned owls to, mm-hmm. to fox and deer. I do, I like to do deer photography when I can. That's my spot where I go out and, uh, and find the deer. Uh, you can even catch nor- Northern Pike in the spring, like around May, they'll be running through the Seine river. So that's the spot yeah. you might want to hang out and you know, it might not be nonstop action, but you'll probably find some other, you know, fishermen there you can hang out with and chat and. I saw a guy catch a channel cat on a full hot dog. Like he just put a hot dog on the hook and chucked it out there and pretty much right away. I mean, if you're going to catch any kind of fish using a full hot dog, I'm not surprised it would be a catfish. I also caught a snapping turtle there. Really? Yeah. So that was terrifying. It wasn't, it wasn't intentional. There, There is a, I don't know, there's some turtles getting busy down there because there's all kinds of baby turtles popping their Aww. heads up all the time oh, I love and then turtles. every once in a while you'll see a giant one surface like, so like did it bite your hook literally and you um, actually reeled it in or i, I actually reeled it in i uh, kind of like foul hooked it in the hand oh yeah so it was unfortunate I, I've, I had really heavy braided line on so i once i realized what was happening i took a few steps back and i brought him on and then i like <laughs> So you can't see me like pausing for dramatic effect on yeah. the audio here, but I reached in ever so slowly and I grabbed the hook and I pulled it out of its, out of its paw and I, uh, or paw. Paw? I don't know. Yeah. Like. Hand? No, it's not. It's not a hand or a paw. It's like a claw-like, like a, paw-like appendage. It's like a paddle. It is like a paddle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyways, I managed to pull the hook out and just kind of run away. I didn't get bit. Um, and he went on to, well, keep reproducing, I'm sure, because it's just like so many turtles down there. And you'll see beavers and muskrats, and it's, there's never a dull moment down there. And uh, some funny local culture, too. There's this one homeless nice. guy, Doug, that I always fish with. And <laughs> Doug? He, yeah, I always shoot the breeze, and he, he taught me how to catch carp uh, with his, his kind of bread ball method. So, oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, he's a good dude. Shout out to Doug, my fishing buddy from uh, downtown Winnipeg. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, definitely. So that's it. That's your favorite fishing spot. Now it's public knowledge. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like it's a super well-kept secret. It's a There's beautiful banks there. Mm-hmm. Um I almost always see other people fishing there. There's a train bridge that runs over the thing, and people are, like, superstitious that whenever a train goes by, like, uh, the fish start biting. I've seen it kind of happen. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Makes total sense Something, like, stirs them up, the vibrations. (laughs) Yeah. 
But yeah, multi-species, good place to hang out. Go say hi to Doug. Tell him Riley said hi. I hope he's doing all right. Aww. Yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. I, I've tried a lot of other spots, and there's spots that I won't quite recommend. I've gone, gone fishing under the Maryland Bridge, and it's just oh, like okay. such a muddy, disgusting mess that I was up to yeah. my up to my shins in mud and only caught one catfish. You'll find catfish everywhere on the red. You just kind of got to find a spot that's comfortable for yourself right. also. Yeah. yeah. So, I actually had um, – I went fishing right off Henderson Highway towards where Pritchard Farms is, just like – Okay. Yeah, for catfish. And it was literally the worst fishing. Like, have you gone there before? No. Okay, because I heard everybody's telling me, like, this is where you can catch catfish. It's so open, but it's honestly just weeds. Like, you can see all the weeds poking through the water. Oh, okay. So it was it was like the catfish were mocking us. We could see them, like, way off in the center of the river, like, jumping out of the water. But yeah. they wouldn't come anywhere near the weeds. No, because they're, they're down in the channel. They exactly. Like, they, like, they like a little bit of movement. Yeah. Yeah, so if you're going to go somewhere, don't go there. I okay. wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> That's where not to go. Yeah. <laughs> And now it's time for Gear Review, where we review gear for you. Today we're looking at an underwater camera. Yes. That's right. Aquaview 10 HDI underwater camera. Yeah. Pretty impressive piece of gear. It comes with a nice $1,300 price tag, hey? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to get really specific, I believe it's $1,299.99. Okay. For those I stand pictures. corrected. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty pretty cool. Now that we're moving into these underwater cameras, they're becoming very popular. I think we've, we've what we've always wanted to do is just see what's going on down there. Exactly. And uh, especially for ice fishing, it, it it's a uh, it's a whole other it's a whole other game once you can just see what's going on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I have used this once uh, with Noel Lindsay. We went out to Delta Beach. Okay. Uh, yeah, Lake Manitoba was my first time out there, uh, so that was a, a really cool trip. Um, I wish we could have gotten a little more time with the camera. But that's that's yeah. what I hear. The two to three hour battery life, maybe yeah. a little less if it's really cold. It, it was minus forty, and okay. and I mean we couldn't even get the trike started. It was a it was a it was a bit of a struggle day. Like the gear was getting cold as we were trying to get out onto the ice. Fair enough. And uh, we got yeah, I would say an hour and a half maybe okay yeah a battery life which is really disappointing um also we were on a spot with no fish (laughs) so we we did not see any (laughs) fish on the camera we relocated and found the fish but the the battery for the for the aqua view was uh long dead yeah uh image quality was great though that's Uh, what i heard as well people are saying this is like the best underwater camera on the market right now oh yeah aside from maybe the unfortunately short battery life the yeah. imaging seems to be super clear. Oh, you can't complain about it. It was really cool. Like we, you can kind of position the camera around uh, down there, and we had it set up. We were watching our watching our jigs, mm-hmm. kind of one right in front of the camera, one off in the per- periphery, and we could see where we were at. So that was really neat. But we were uh, new to Lake Manitoba, and we didn't realize that the it's like kind of like an evening bite going on at, at Delta yeah. at Delta Beach. So right around four thirty, we started catching fish. And okay. right around that time, too, all the locals started showing up in their trucks. And we had already been out for nine hours and minus 40. And we we're oh like, oh, my God. Yeah, we should have just slept in and came a little later. But yeah, I know like, it, it's a very cool piece of equipment, but the battery life just isn't there yet. I think what this would be ideal for is like a permanent shack where you have some kind of power supply. Yeah. Like if you if you had a shack or a snow bear or some kind of device that you were able to have your uh, your Aquaview plugged in the whole time, yes. that would be amazing. 
Yeah, we just started selling this actually at Cabela's, and that's what fishermen who are very, like, very hardcore experienced fishermen with permanent shacks will come and say that this is the best unit they've ever used. Mm -hmm. And they have, like, external power sources and extra batteries, and they're basically ready for anything. So they can use this for 9, 10 hours a day without any issues. I think it's only, like, you were you out just in the middle of the lake? Or? Yeah, just with a pop-up, yeah. like a six-man pop-up tent. Okay, so yeah, so. Uh, we there was no running power to it. Um, we had even left the truck on shore because it was a little early in the season. So I do know that th it comes with a power adapter that you could probably mm -hmm. even plug into a truck, but also don't know if you want to be testing your truck's battery while you're out in the middle of a lake. Probably, Maybe not. Yeah, pr probably best if you have a, a powered-up uh, ice vehicle or a permanent shack. Um I'm going to try to get my friend to take me out again and I'd love to see how it works in like a, in a shield lake, like maybe like oh. in one, one of my trout spots or something like that. That would be really cool to see. Nice shallow water. Where um, you can see all the fish so yeah, clearly. Yeah. Lake Winnipeg, uh, Lake Manitoba is a little bit more clear than Lake Winnipeg. Um, but it, it, you're still, you're probably still restricted to four feet around the camera in terms of range of what you could actually see before it just kind of became cloudy. Uh, I can't imagine what it would look like on on the red. Probably you'd probably have so murky. Yeah, yeah you'd probably have a foot of uh, of sight. But generally, really cool. Um, I'd like to invite anyone that owns an AquaView to take me out and uh, <laughs> let me use it. It's yeah. something that I, uh, you know, I'd really love to have, but that is not in my budget right now. Used ones. You yeah. can get, you can, I, well, they're not cheap by any means, but right. I did a bit of surfing before this podcast and. I noticed on Amazon and eBay, you can bring the price down to like six, seven hundred. That's still quite a lot. That's not bad. But I mean, compared to what you'd be paying for at retail price, it's really not horrible for no. a, a great quality camera. Yeah. And just, yeah, just that opportunity to have eyes under the water. Exactly. It's really cool. And I can't wait to see like where this, where this kind of technology progresses over the coming years. And uh, I'm sure they'll find a way to get us a little bit more battery life so it doesn't feel like you've hauled extra gear out into exactly. the middle of a lake for only so a couple hours. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, another cool thing is that like when, when I'm on the fishing forums and stuff, people with the cameras will upload their footage and you can you get to watch like fish strikes and stuff like that. So I spend <gasps> a lot of my time watching that. You can watch the watch pike like kind of move in on your bait and attack it. And yeah, so it, it's, it's really cool. And uh, I'm going to have to try to get out there and try it a little bit more. Uh, for now, I can only give it a three out of five stars just because the battery life disappointed us so badly um, yeah. during our one experience. But in terms of capability, this thing's awesome. And if you got the money, add it to your giant palace of ice fishing. For those of us who aren't planning on adding a $1,300 underwater camera, we mm -hmm. have um, some tips for you today for fishing on a budget. Starting with, um, I saw maybe the most unusual article today about a guy who makes his own lures using plastic utensils. Plastic utensils? Yeah, he uses oh, like wow. the, the head of a plastic spoon okay. and super glue. And he uses it literally to, to catch fish. He uses all kinds of household items. Um, he used like the plastic lid from a deodorant bottle and like old toothpaste bottles and Vaseline and just like the most the weirdest household items that you'd ever wow, imagine. That, that's next level money saving for fishing and i, I, yeah. I imagine they work pretty well <laughs> yeah. some of them um, some trial and error involved i'm sure yeah like yeah. he said that the best ones they use were small beads marbles that sort of stuff okay and like i would never think to do that but he had some great tips very cool 
there's the obvious tips like changing your hooks when they start to rust instead of people throwing out the entire lure, which I see all the time, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. People treat everything as so, so disposable, but you can just easily put new trebles on a on a crankbait. And yeah. It's good good as new. Yeah, you can go yeah. to the fishing hole. And, and they'll probably hooks. be better better than the ones that came with the lure originally if you just buy the hooks on their own. Yeah, they're like, yeah. um, I believe you can get a pack of three at the fishing hole for like 50 cents now. Oh, it's yeah. almost nothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then just storing your gear correctly, only buying the things that you need sounds super obvious, but it's so easy to let your stuff kind of... I am guilty of this. Oh yeah, I, I let, let letting things fall into disrepair oh, or no. leaving them in the trunk of my car for my Ex- yeah, yeah, like when my girlfriend got stabbed with that hook there. <laughs> I'm yeah. not one to talk either. Like my my glove box in my car has nothing but like old rusted weights in it and yeah. and pickerel hooks yeah. and jigs just floating around in there. So I always tell people not to touch anything in there. Yeah, definitely. I could I could save some money there too. I, I try to keep my setup pretty simple because I don't. I'm not made of money. I did kind of splurge <laughs> on the auger. Like I, I yeah. do have an ion, and that was that was a pretty big purchase. But it's just so practical for me. I don't have like a fifty thousand dollar truck to drive around in, so mm-hmm. I didn't really want to have a gas auger kind of sitting in the in the cabin of my car and leaking gas everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been very happy with the ion. That was not a budget move, but it was a good move nonetheless. Well, I mean, if you get your use out of it, I don't see anything wrong with it. People go to, like, I see this all the time at work of people going to crazy lengths to try to save some money. Actually, just a few days ago, we had someone come back with an ice tent that they had just purchased like two days before. They brought it back and they were like, oh, yeah, there's some of the poles are splitting and it's it's just a bad quality tent. And when we opened it up, absolutely everything was stripped from the tent, <laughs> except for like <laughs> a couple poles, like someone literally just stripped what Chop they needed. Shop. Yeah. yeah, and returned scraps to us. Oh gosh! So people do it all the time. Like oh just, really? Just weird things to save a couple bucks, but there's other ways. <laughs> yeah, there's other ways. <laughs> Not that I'm endorsing that. No. Don't do that. My boat is made of rubber. That is uh, that's a that saves me in time and uh, money and space. And it floats. It does float. And that's what yeah. you need. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, well, I bought that off my friend for I think 150 bucks. He That's threw in cheap. a trolling motor, so even cheaper. Um, just like a very like very kind of entry level trolling motor. And then yeah, I did have to shell out I think 167 bucks for a deep cycle marine battery and mm-hmm. 70 bucks for the charger for it. But that thing will run all day. Exactly. I, I, yeah, yeah. I've never I've never killed the battery on it, and I like to fish for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah, and there's no shame in making big fishing purchases every so often if that no. if that thing is going to last you, right? So Oh yeah, and the retail therapy element of it too, like it just yes. feels good to have some some sick gear. But yeah, my my <laughs> flasher cost me 275 bucks. So altogether I I've kept it like my entire everything I have to like under $1500 and that's not bad for somebody who fishes as often as I do, which is No, that's all the not time. bad at all. No. I see people spend that like in one trip. Oh, yeah. Just regular customers, especially those who have like fishing lodges that they go up to all the time. Yeah. They'll come and drop like over two grand every trip. And these are people I see like once a week. Oh, wow. Yeah. They come in all the time. So, yeah, Yeah. I'm just like, how much do you love fishing? Mm -hmm. Is it worth it? But maybe it is if you love something that much. Yeah. Plus, we all know people who just like to buy the nice gear and then they like never go out and just kind of sit there. That's so sad. Yeah, definitely. Such a waste. Yeah. Lend me your gear. I will put it to use. Lend me your gear. Yes. 
fishing is expensive, but you can make mm -hmm. it less expensive if you just kind of budget accordingly. Yeah, and, and I look think for deals. Buy used. Yeah. People are scared to buy used fishing stuff. I think. But yeah, especially with electronics, which can be understandable. Mm -hmm. Like you, you never really know what you're getting until you have it out on the water. But uh, but if you don't know, like before you buy it, just have someone have a professional look at it. Yeah. Like make sure that you're not getting ripped off and it's totally fine to buy something used. Definitely. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of great stuff out there and uh, yeah, a thrifty person can uh, get a good deal on that and uh, have lots of fun. It really enhances the fishing experience to have some of these, these gear items that we're talking about. Now it's time to go carping. Yeah, <laughs> I love fishing for common carp. They are pound for pound just giant fighters they are crazy aggressive put up a bit better fight than most channel cats do in my experience because they're really? a little more unpredictable yeah so i've got some tips for you uh you can you know go fishing for carp on well i mean pretty much every lake has them now they're they're a bit of a invasive species but they still are a fun target um i usually go to the beaches of lake winnipeg for these carp because that's where they really stack up prime time is late april early may just kind of when, or I guess May, right when fishing season opens up again, um, they are all coming in to spawn and they are like at these like lagoons and all these spots like shallow water in huge numbers. So, so it's really neat. It's uh, like, as, like I mentioned, I like to fish in an inflatable boat. This is perfect for that because I can kind of float around in three or four feet of water and I'm watching hundreds of carp just like swim around you can all see around them me. like that? Yeah, you can. Ooh. So it, it adds this other like kind of really exciting element of sight fishing. And uh, you're faced with the challenge. How do you get them to bite? What will they bite? Not everything. Sometimes they'll bite everything. Depends on the time of year. There's a lot of little <laughs> factors. Um, so desperate these fish are right this time of year. Yeah, they are foragers. They, they are not predatory fish. They usually go for whatever vegetation and things like that are around. They will eat worms. Um, especially in early May, like you can catch them on worms, but you might end up, if you're targeting them, you might end up with like little bullheads and other things going after them. So I try to like use a setup that ensures that only carp will bite it. So I use corn niblets. So basically it's called a hair rig setup where you do this special knotless knot it's called, and you have a loop of, of line that extends past this small little circle hook, like maybe a size six octopus hook. And what you do is you take a bait needle and you thread like like beads. You put the corn on this little loop past the past the hook, because what carp do when they're eating, they kind of just like they're sucking things in, blowing things out, and <laughs> uh, like they're yeah they're not really discriminating. They're just kind of filtering through whatever's on the ground. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so the the idea is it's super lightweight. The corn goes into their mouth, and it, on the way out, it hooks the hook hooks into their yeah. bottom lip. Aww. Yeah. Yeah, so um, it's really fun because you can start like a really wild uh, feeding frenzy. So I usually bring like I'll bring cans of like nice firm corn niblets for the hook and then just bags of, of frozen corn. And I'll just put just like put a reckless amount of corn out into the water, really shallow water. And uh, I usually just wait a little bit, hang out. And then you'll start seeing like they are so active when they're getting ready to spawn as well. Mm -hmm. You'll see you'll see three foot fish flying through the air. They're all like <laughs> it, it's it's a pretty wild experience. Um, wow. Yeah. I feel like I identify with these fish. Yeah, they're, they're cool, man. Eat everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and um, 
you know, they're, they've grown kind of out of control, but they're also, people don't really target them recreationally. So it's no. kind of an opportunity. People, I'm not usually competing for space on my favorite carp fishing spot because people are just elsewhere. Why is that? Like, why wouldn't people fish for carp if there's so many of them? Well, first of all, they're not really something that are popular for eating in North America. No. If, yeah, you, no. if you go to Europe, like, like, uh, like it's very popular food fish, but people oh, don't, yeah. people Give don't me another like, shore lunch. I, yeah, I can, exactly. I'm sure I can find something. Yeah, exactly. So they're, they're not popular for that reason. Um, if you want to fight a really strong, big fish, that's the way to do it. Like these carp are awesome. I always go like purposely under geared for them. So I'll use like a medium rod and eight pound mono line. It, like, I'll leave like the eight foot uh, catfish rod at home and just use my lightest gear in my little <laughs> boat. And just mostly cause it's hilarious. So basically you use a little slip sinker, much like a, a catfish rig. You have your hair rig on there. You put it out there and you just wait. I try to put my uh, rod at like a horizontal position if I can like right. find like some sticks or something to stand it like horizontally and I release the drag entirely. And oh, yeah, yeah. Well, so that's I, different. Yeah, so I just loosen the bail entirely and then eventually you just hear and your reel's going and uh, and off they're going and you just slowly kind of approach your rod, tighten the drag up just enough, not too much because they'll break you off in a second. These are like 30 yeah. to 40 pound fish. So then once you're hooked on, then you've got a, a big fight on your hands. <laughs> and uh, it's not it's not uncommon that I'll have to fight a fish because I'm using such light gear uh, for like 20 minutes. I don't know why. In my like, boat. So you can picture me just like it's people so are on, on the brand. beach. They're laughing. Yeah, they're just <laughs> laughing at me and I'm fighting this fish forever. And then usually I have to like hop out of the boat to actually like bring the fish onto shore. Like I can't really bring it onto my yeah. little raft. Honestly, uh, I there's I haven't heard anything so like on brand for you before <laughs> except for that. For those of you who, who don't know Riley, somebody wrestling a 40-pound fish <laughs> seems some, like something he would do. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm all about. Yeah. So that's that's always fun. That's how I, I spend my springs. I usually go to uh, Patricia Beach, but there's a lot of spots all around uh, Lake Winnipeg where you can find them. Right. And uh, also a good raft spot for me if the you know I'm not going too far out onto the lake. It can be a little intimidating taking our inflatable raft into the <laughs> open uh, Lake Winnipeg. But this is you just kind of hug the shores. You find the lagoons and you find your spots. And uh, it took me a long time to perfect this, but this method, this hair rig method, which you can look up in the and there's plenty of videos explaining how to tie it up. It works everywhere. It works at Lockport too. And and the mm -hmm. and the carp are always a, a lot closer than you think. They're like just a few feet offshore generally just throw some corn throw some corn go chumming <laughs> chumming for carp so those are some uh carp fishing tips for you and awesome. uh yeah i encourage you to, to fish for some carp because they're there they're how, not going away how Might do you well think i would them. do do you think i'd do okay wrestling yeah, do a 40 great. pound carp you do awesome definitely <laughs> i believe in you yeah yeah you'd have a, you'd have a good time they're they're not pretty but they're I mean, they're just basically like giant goldfish, so they're, they're harmless. Goldfish. They can't bite you. Well, I'm going to have to add that on my to-do list for as soon as school ends. Yeah, exactly. Master angler size for common carp is 30 inches, I believe. So anything over Ooh. 30 inches is uh, pretty impressive. I've got a, a 35. Uh, Caitlin's looking at some pictures right yeah. now. Yeah, like I said, they're... These things are so ugly. They're hideous, but yeah. But honestly... <laughs> But exactly what you'd picture from a fish that lives to eat everything in sight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, one of those nice. things where really they do destroy uh, habitats for, for native fish. The only benefit they could possibly have is to give an angler uh, a fun time as they're, as they're trying to catch one. Um, 
some people I know will actually just like leave them on shore, but I don't do that. I don't kill animals just because. Yeah, that's mean. Yeah, yeah. Even though they're invasive, it's like whatever. Like yeah, it, I I've seen that a lot too. People catch fish, they just kind of like keep the fish out of water way too long, and then just toss it. Yeah, Which I is, hate I mean, that. If you're not. Yeah, last time I was at Lions Lake, there was people they were targeting trout, but they just kept catching like dinky little perch, and they were just leaving them on the ice. Like, what's the point? I don't know. I don't know what the what the, what the point of that is. Um, always kind of makes me mad. It's like, well, just disrespect the fish. Yeah, and you're not going to be using that for like for bait for something else, most likely. So. No, and I I don't I'm not sure that you're allowed to. You can't no. use live bait in most of those in most of those spots. So. Uh, yeah, that always kind of bothered me. But actually, now we have uh, Shane Barry, a former conservation officer, that can maybe talk a little bit about uh, his experiences in the yeah. Whiteshell. So earlier this month, a Winnipeg fisherman was caught at Lockport with 20 saugers over the limits, uh, faced about a $1,400 fine, a lot of gear was seized. Um, today, to talk about the importance of conservation and just what the job entails, we have Shane Barry, a former conservation officer who spent a couple years uh, working conservation in the white shell. Hey, Shane, thanks for coming on today. Hey, not a problem. Thanks for having me. So we just have a few questions for you about uh, your time as a conservation officer. We're just wondering, did you come across poaching like that very often while working in the white shell? Uh, not very often. Uh, I find most fishermen, like probably 90-something percent of them are, uh, you know, good, honest people who are fishing, you know, for fun, and they keep, you know, what's legally allowed, and yeah, most people I, I ran across were great. Uh, you know, occasionally, some people want to keep extras, uh, especially if fishing's going really well, especially in some places you can only have, you know, four to six walleye. That's usually the big one. Some people like to, you know, keep that seventh or eighth or... Uh, I didn't find over quantity too often. I found uh, slot size a lot. That's right. So Falcon Lake uh, is is a spot where there's a there's a slot, right? I think it's like any, yeah, anything over forty centimeters has to yeah. go back. Uh, yeah. A lot of the eastern part of the province is like that. Uh, anything between forty centimeters and seventy five centimeters is considered the slot size for walleye, which means you can't keep them. They're uh, breeder fish. Yeah. So basically. Yeah, they're important to the to the future populations. Yeah. So yeah. And then when you hit 75, like this, the 76 uh, centimeter makes it a master, and you're allowed to keep the one master fish. That's and right. That's what you get to be your trophy fish. But it can be hard when, you know, 45 centimeters is 17 and three quarter inches. Like it, you catch a lot of 18, 19, 20 inch walleye that look really good. You want to keep it. That's something I came across much more often. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's an innocent mistake. Like guys catch an 18-inch fish, they want to keep it. You know, like that just happens. Oh, definitely. I mean, you do have to kind of do your due diligence and read the regs for the lake you're going to. But uh, I only found out about the slot size at Falcon Lake when a when a CO told me about it. I wasn't keeping any fish that day. I pretty much when I'm in the white shell do catch and release. But uh, that's how I learned that. So that's important information to have. I always find that pan-sized smaller walleye taste better anyway. See, yeah, it's <laughs> the same opinion I have. I yeah. like the smaller fish. They're, I find to be much tastier. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but, like, I just grew up my entire life fishing on the east side of Manitoba, up in Nopaming a lot, and then down in the White Shell. So, like, when you're in parts of Nopaming, it's only uh, four. You can only have four walleye at any time, no matter what license you have. So I kind of just grew up really early learning about slot size and the amount that you can keep. So that came really helpful when I got to conservation in the white shell and all those rules were a lot the same and 
mm-hmm. it was really easy to keep track of and and really help educate people because that's what the conservation's a lot about it's just about educating people it's not to you know ruin people's time like no. i found when i was out on the boat a lot fishmen love seeing you there because they they want there to be more fish so well, they exactly. want to be able to they want to be able to catch fish so they like that you're there and you're making sure that people are following the rules so that there are more fish for them forever so let them grow let them let them go let them grow yeah people. exactly yeah do you think there really is a significant impact to fishermen keeping like just one extra fish once once every so often do you have strong opinions on that or uh i do uh i studied a little bit of it in university uh how easy it is for you know everybody to keep just one fish. They think that they're the only one keeping that one fish. And you find out that it's actually everybody. Uh, in the white shell, there's a lake called Crowduck. Uh, it was pretty famous for the fact that it got overfished really okay. fast in uh, like the 70s and 80s. Right. To the point where they had to limit like no fish. You could not take a single fish out oh, wow. of Crowduck because it couldn't like respond. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's only been, crash. it was yeah. only until I got there in I guess 2014, 2015, that they were allowing you to take walleye again out of Crowduck because they were like, okay, population is is healthy enough now, like we can handle people taking out fish and it will still be sustainable. But for the longest time, Crowduck was a no <laughs> fish being taken out of there. So conservation shot was easy. You sat at the only entrance in and out of Crowduck <laughs> and you were like, do you have fish? If you have fish, you're going to want to set, put that back. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess so. Did you find people were pretty creative with trying to sneak out extra fish? Um, not so much personally. I heard a lot of stories. I knew a lot of friends who worked uh, Birds Hill and Grand Beach. So they got to go to like Lockport. Lockport has a lot of very, a lot of creative people, you know, hiding fish in spare tires, uh, under the wheel wells, you know, pipes, anything that they can do. Yeah, definitely. Uh, in Falcon Lake, my m- most memorable ones are the people who would catch the fish and then throw them into the forest. They'd find some grass and just chuck the fish there and be like, what? I don't have any fish. Oh, oh God. God. <laughs> you used to stand there and watch him do it. Oh, and then you'd walk over and be like, really? Like, dude, walk I... over to the fo- and, like this little tree and be like, are these your fish? <laughs> no, no, those are my fish. I don't know how fish. those fish got yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Those are like, okay. land, land sharks. But, yeah, so I used to, ha- used to confiscate a lot of fish that way. Okay. Um, okay. What do you do with the fish that you confiscate? If any fish isn't alive or isn't going to be able to survive back in the lake, we take it back to a district office, we fillet them ourselves, and then we donate them to, uh, usually there are people that come to district office and ask for if we have any fish, uh, usually community centers or they've got some kind of food drive or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically any fish that was seized that wasn't going to be part of any kind of case yeah it was always donated awesome that's great awesome it's a good use for them yeah what a lot of people don't know uh when when you're keeping walleye and stuff you're supposed to keep what is it a square inch of the skin on the on the fillets yes still a thing yeah yeah so that you can prove the type so if you were to say take a fish out of the lake and you want to fillet it immediately they want you to keep a tag of basically skin showing that hey this is a walleye or these are pike or perch or whatever yeah so that exactly. you can easily really? recognize yeah what is what type of fish i yeah. had no idea that was a thing yeah that's a thing <laughs> for sure i think uh, sometimes people also don't realize that uh your possession limit includes what's in your freezer doesn't it yes yeah yeah so people mm-hmm. think oh it's not that you can take 
for walleye every day. Like, yeah, because the idea is that you you eat the fish that you take. Yes. And then you can keep, uh, but a lot of people think that it's every time they go fishing. Yes. So if, it, if fishing's going really well, you know, go get their six fish, come back, put it in the freezer, and then go back out again, catch another six fish and go, oh, I only caught these six fish on this trip. That's right. That's but if you my, have a freezer full of fish, those, yeah. they all count. All of a sudden it's just like, yeah, yeah all those fish that you caught today all count. Yeah. So, and same thing with like shore lunches. You catch the fish and then you eat them on shore. That's still your limit for the day. Yes. So even yeah. if you don't take it with you, eating that fish is your limit. And that was another thing you used to come across a lot of is people being like, not, not even realizing it, just innocently being like, yeah. oh, I thought if I ate the fish, that just canceled out my, my catch for the day and I could fish more. Well, you would totally have then people just eating the fish really quick and hoping nobody noticed. Oh, yeah. I mean, that should happen all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Nothing nothing I'm going to do about that. Oh, that's interesting, too, is those little things you don't think about. I think the best thing uh, a fisherman who wants to be, uh, you know, a positive member of the fishing community can do is just read the regs and kind of get to know what's allowed and what's not. And, uh, yeah, just do it right, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't take too much effort to figure it out. No, and like I said, probably almost 99% of the fishermen out there are good fishermen. They follow the rules. They know the rules. They catch what they're allowed to keep. And like I said, you run across them on a lake, and they love seeing a conservation officer out there because it's like, hey, you're helping to protect the fish that I want to catch and that other people want to catch. So, yeah, yeah, that was always a great part of the job is being out on the lake and just talking to fishermen. Yeah, and conservation is doing a really good job in the in the white shell. That's one place that I I, almost, I see a CO almost every time I go out there, whether I'm on like lions or hunt or west hawk or falcon. I usually run into somebody, and that's really nice to see. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, for thank you, us Shane, for joining today. us. You know, it's always good to get some pro insight on these issues. Not a problem. Yeah, thank you. Now it's time for Fishing with Nolsey. Nolsey is an outdoors expert who works for the Manitoba Wildlife Federation. He's also a published writer with American Outdoorsman and a number of other great magazines. And he's going to teach us something pretty special today. He's going to teach us how to cook squirrels. I'm so excited to hear this. Welcome, Noel. Thanks for coming on the show, my friend. Today we're talking squirrel meat. And we're talking specifically of eastern gray squirrels. And they are delicious. They're plentiful in Manitoba. And they're one of the main species of squirrel that we have in this province. Sort of the other really familiar species and recognizable species that we've got in the province is red squirrel. Red squirrel, you got to have a trapper's license. They're considered an animal that people actually collect the furs and, and sell. So uh, eastern gray squirrels are your quarry of choice if you don't want to go get your trapping license, although I strongly suggest you go get your trapping license because it's it's well worth it. It's just amazing to be out on the trap line. Cool. Eastern gray squirrel, which is what I like to focus on, they're a little bit larger, so you're going to get more meat off of them. They generally hang around in sort of that, uh, the more mature woods, so you're talking like the big old oaks and that sort of thing, feasting on acorns and that, and um, there's a ton of them, right? You can go see them in Wildwood Park. You can go see them in any, any park in the city. Oh, yeah, there's no, no, no squirrel uh, shortage. Yeah, yeah, unlike in probably like Southern Carolina or, or Tennessee or something, there might be because those Some dudes scared eat them. squirrels down there. Yeah, man, yeah. those dudes eat those squirrels all the time, but with good reason because they're delicious and they're nutritious and and like any wild game, they're a superfood, right? The organic and all of the things that our labels on our foods tell us about that are makes them so wonderful. Well, squirrels got that. So do rabbits and every other wild game, deer. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. it's all just just high and high and delicious, nutritious things, and squirrels no different. But yeah, so I got kind of two squirrel recipes here. My first one that I'm going to talk about here is a fire-roasted squirrel on a spit. 
that's my favorite. This is the one that I do when I'm out hunting all the time. And often we'll go out grouse hunting in the fall. Uh, and if we can't find any grouse, then it turns into a squirrel hunt because, you know, you got to have gotta something. You got to shoot something. You got something to eat, <laughs> right? So, yeah. So, you know, it, realistically, you're looking at about one squirrel, one gray squirrel per person. Um, you know, if you get more, then, hey, have at her. The nice thing about them really is that you don't need a hunting license. So you don't have to go buy a tag. Uh, getting back to the squirrel, which I love. <laughs> Have I said that? Have I said that enough? Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. You're selling it, man. Yeah, man. Good. Yeah, you're making me hungry. Oh, they're delicious. I'm going to take you out this year. We're going to get some squirrels. Let's We're gonna do eat it. Them. You're looking at uh, one gray squirrel per person. You're getting about mm, half pound of meat off each squirrel. So that's not bad. Basically, you're just going to gut them. Uh, you're going to skin them and you're going to leave them whole. So when I say, when I say leave them whole, you're going to skin them basically down to the ankles. You're going to cut off the feet and then, uh, and, and make sure all the guts are out. Keep the heart, keep the liver. They're delicious. The wobbly bits are my favorite parts. Cook them in butter and onion, and they're fabulous. You heard it here first, people. Squirrel bits. Squirrel bits. It's really easy. What I do when I'm at home is I'll put uh, about three tablespoons of sea salt, uh, about a tablespoon of black pepper, uh, about a tablespoon of garlic powder, and maybe two teaspoons of paprika. Uh, you can add a seasoning salt or something if you want instead of just regular uh, instead of regular sea salt, but I just I really like sea salt, so that's why I go with that. Put that in a Ziploc bag. Bring that out with me. Once we've got our squirrels clean and we're going to sit down and we're actually going to cook them, all we need are butcher's twine and uh, a nice straight green stick with the forked end, right? The kind you cook yep. marshmallows on. You're going to have to cut one of them. You're going to sharpen the ends. Basically, you're going to shove the ends of the sharpened part of the fork into the legs of the squirrel. Okay. Right into the throw into the thighs. And then you take your butcher's twine. You're going to tie up your whole squirrel and basically just lash it to the to the stick. Once you've got it all lashed onto your stick and you're ready to rock, you're going to dust the squirrel with your seasoning that you brought from home. So make sure you get a good covering on it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, of course. And then uh, basically you're going to put a belly down. You're going to, you're going to want to get a couple of rocks for this. So you're going to take your stick and you're going to, you're going to want to have them set about 18 inches above like, you know, some good red hot embers. That way you're going to get a nice even heat and just keep those embers going. Right. So you keep your fire and just sort of bank your fire, get your embers out. 18 inches above with your with your squirrel, and you let her go for 25, 30 minutes until that squirrel's juices start running. Cool. Are you rotating it as, as it cooks? Eh, you can. I don't. Okay. I generally I generally leave it, and often what I'll do is I'll, I'll set the thing up. And the, the whole 18 inches height thing kind of keeps it away from the main burning, right. overheating sort of situation yeah. where you're going to char the heck out of it, at which point you would want to flip it. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, good point. Yeah, you could totally flip it. I Again, I don't. I generally just sort of let her buck. Um, it's high enough that it's going to cook well and you're still going to get a bit of char, but not so much. You're going to dry out the meat and, uh, it's a good opportunity to go and, uh, cast a couple of spoons and, and see if you can't get a pike to go with your squirrel while you're, <laughs> there you go. while it's cooking. There but you go. But yeah, it's like 25, 30 minutes, wait until the juices are clear, pull it off and you just eat it like a, you're a corn. Yeah, so this is like you're cooking this well done, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're yeah, cooking yeah. it through. Like, There's no medium rare squirrel steaks. No, <laughs> having never done the research, I would suggest that it's probably like cooking poultry. Like yeah. you wouldn't want to lick a raw chicken. I don't know if I'd want to eat a raw squirrel. I don't know what, like, I, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's true. I've never looked. I don't but, know. But we're going to tell you to cook it right through but so, cook the so heck you out of can't it. come after us if, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> if you get 170 sick. degrees. Always cook it to <laughs> out 170. Out of the danger zone. <laughs> but this one is just such a great shore lunch. It cooks it long enough that it breaks down. Yeah, maybe it's a little chewy, but honestly, it's it's so good. You're, you're going to want it every day. You know, one day somebody might be just trapped out in the woods and like starving. They'll be like, oh, I remember Nolsey told me how to cook a, a squirrel on the Dockside podcast. I'm going to do that. Well, exactly. See, we're saving lives here, people. You're welcome. You're welcome. That's right. <laughs> 
All right, so that's my favorite campsite, uh, my camp, my favorite campsite way to do it. And then I got another sort of another recipe that I like to do when I bring a brace of squirrels home. And uh, this is more of uh, a baked squirrel recipe. So I usually get, you know, four squirrels for this one, four to six squirrels. And I like to, uh, again, you, you got them and you got your squirrels right away. Like anything, folks, if you're just getting into hunting, clean your game immediately. I don't care if it's a fish. I don't care if right it's away. a squirrel. Okay. My squirrels are going to be nice and clean right away. When I get a home, I'm going to quarter them. So basically, that's taking the rear legs off. That's separating the rear legs, the front shoulders and, and, and arms, and uh, and basically leaving the ribs and the sort of the back straps. The important thing to remember about squirrels is, like any small game animal, you want to be really careful on how you sort of separate the joints when you're breaking down your squirrel. You know, go around, spend the time, find the joint, the knee joint, right, that shoulder joint, that, and actually cut around. Cut the tendons and get down and actually separate those bones instead of cutting through them or breaking them. Okay. So, yeah, so so this is a baked squirrel recipe. Not a lot to this one either. It's, it's one bell pepper chopped. It's a one onion, again, chopped. You need two tablespoons of butter, but a quarter cup of uh, red wine, a can of mushroom soup, a quarter cup of cider vinegar, uh, kosher salt to taste. I like the kosher salt. It's a little bit milder than sea salt. Uh, pepper to taste, paprika to taste, and garlic powder to taste. The ever-present garlic powder that I love so much because it makes things taste awesome. The last two things you're going to need are all-purpose flour and cooking oil. Vegetable oil, peanut oil, whatever you got. Works good. Uh, something with a higher smoke point. So, yeah. right, you know, olive oil, it, it works, but it smokes at a pretty low temperature. It so. does, yeah. So okay. this, you know, you're going to be doing a bit of browning here. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to take your cider vinegar and your salt, and you're basically going to mix that in with enough water to cover the squirrel in a dish. And then I'm going to cover it with saran wrap, and I'm going to put it back in the fridge for at least two hours. I'd go closer to four. And what that does, that lets let that vinegar sink in a little bit. It pulls out any sort of gamey flavors. I don't find squirrel particularly gamey to begin with, but some people do. Right, it's just taste buds. Yeah, I think in a lot of the cases, depending on how you clean it, again, depending on if you've cleaned it right away or if you've let it sit in your bag for two days, or if you haven't been eating squirrel for many years, like or, you have, or, I think, yeah, I think or, that or if squirrels aren't your thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, once that time's up, remove your squirrel, uh, shake on your pepper, your garlic powder, paprika, and then roll it in flour. Once you sort of got that, you're gonna set it aside on a paper towel. Get your cooking oil. Nice and hot, and, and again, I use a cast iron for this, like a cast iron pan. Yeah. And you're going to throw the squirrel in, and you're going to cook them until they're golden brown, so they just look like chicken wings. Yeah, that's what I'm picturing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So exactly. So so get them nice and golden brown. Then take your, uh, take your squirrel out of the oil, put them in a baking dish. Once you've taken your squirrel out of the hot oil, put them on a paper towel on a baking dish, and then uh, in a separate pan, saute your onions and your pepper in the butter. Once your onions and pepper, sort of you know, your onions are that translucent, maybe a little bit starting to brown a little bit, uh, you're going to want to add your wine, cream of mushroom soup, and then pour it over the squirrel in that baking uh, in that baking pan. Bake it 375 for 30 minutes. And again, because they're not a very big animal, that meat doesn't take a ton of time. It's not like you got to slow roast it like you would a pork shoulder or something right, all right. day, right? Really, 30 minutes at 375, and it's going to be tender and just delicious, blow your mind. Wow, cool. Yeah, man, that's squirrels. That's awesome. This is uh, such a cool topic for me. I think a lot of our listeners will uh, find some novelty and some uh, information in this Cooking with Nolsey segment. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, contrary to popular belief, I actually do have all my teeth. Yes, I can confirm this. (laughs) Full of tooth, upstanding citizen. Yeah, law-abiding... Father of two. Father of two that uh, just happens to like to eat rodents, uh, <laughs> I guess. So that's Squirrels, man. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, let's do this Thanks again. Thanks for coming in, Nolsey. We're going to make this a regular thing, cooking with Nolsey every week. Some kind of wild game that uh, you may never have even considered cooking before. That's awesome. I'd love to do that, man. Thanks very much. 
So you're gonna run out and bag yourself a squirrel now, Caitlin? Um, <laughs> maybe. I mean, that didn't sound too terrible. Sounds so. pretty good to me. It's kind of been a bucket list thing for me, so. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Actually, it kind of has, so. All right. Hopefully, I'll be able to find myself a squirrel. Definitely. That could be a future <laughs> show or lunch with Caitlin. If the fishing's not bad, <laughs> shoot a squirrel, trap a squirrel, and, yeah. and cook it up. You just need to talk to my dad about this. He's, he's like, insane when it comes to shooting neighborhood squirrels. Okay. Did I ever tell you this? No. Okay, he has like one of those little slingshots with these metal balls. Yep. And he really hates um, what he calls varmints. Varmints. In our yard. Yeah. So I don't think it's actually, I'm sure there's a bylaw against slingshotting living animals, but he's shot like everything. He's killed <laughs> rabbits, um, squirrels. Uh, he he shot a crow last week and then it didn't actually die and it came back with like five other crows. You don't, you don't want to cross a crow. No. They're so smart. They'll remember your face forever. Well, they now inhabit a tree right outside his, his sunroom. So it kind of backfired on him. But like, like my, yeah, my parents' movie. backyard is like a graveyard for neighborhood animals. Okay. Does he cook them? Or you just like, no, he just hates them. Okay. <laughs> so Yeah. So that's no. different. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, maybe I'll ask him if he can maybe take in like a rabbit or a squirrel or some of them. He just rattles their cage. Oh, he traps them. Sometimes, yeah, cool. or shoots oh. them. So. Yeah, whatever <laughs> again, it takes, I suppose. Again, not encouraged. Not encouraged, but kind of funny. Like it is, yeah. He did it in front of, um, I brought a boyfriend over and their mid-conversation, all of a sudden he gets up and he's just like, wait, hold that thought, and just shoots a bird with the slingshot right in front of him. <laughs> and the look on this guy's face was like, what is wrong with your dad? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God. But it fell into the neighbor's yard and there were kids playing in it. So oh, okay. all we could hear was like children screaming. And that's pretty much a metaphor for my whole childhood yeah. right there. So your dad story. pretty like notorious in your neighborhood? Then? He is. Yeah. <laughs> He's a big hunter, former cop, like kind of scary, but also scary. like the most wonderful person. But yeah. Yeah. He... Well, uh, do never, never go into Caitlin's backyard and you'll be fine. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the dock side this week. That's going to be our time. And we'll be talking to you again with new, uh, new tips and, yeah. uh, this has been a great couple conversations. I yeah, think we'll lots keep it of going. information. In yeah, here. keep that momentum rolling. Thank you all for listening to The Dockside.